this morning we, we come to our final installment uh, in our Christmas in Isaiah series. And again, we do so in Isaiah 61, and we'll read uh, verses 1 through 11. Uh, but as you turn there, uh, just let me remind you that over the last few weeks, uh, we have sifted through some of Isaiah's more well-known prophecies, uh, prophecies that, that pointed Israel and pointed us, really, uh, to the, these prophecies pointed us to, and they also assured us of uh, God's coming Messiah. Uh, and, you know, looking back this week over the course of those uh, sermons, I realized we really could have broken down the series in this way. Those first three weeks, they, we really considered uh, who this Messiah would be, right? Uh, you think back to Isaiah chapter 9, we saw that, that he was a son, that he was a child born to bring light to a people lost in darkness, as Ben has just read for us. In Isaiah 7, the second week, we saw that, that he would come from a virgin, that he would be Emmanuel, God with his people. And then in Isaiah chapter 11, we saw that he was the, the true king, the, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, uh, that anointed, spirit-filled king. Now, now in each of these, whether it was son, Emmanuel, or king, what we found in this Messiah was the Redeemer, that God's people desperately needed, the, the one that they desperately needed to deliver them, not just from their physical needs, though those were many, but what they had what was the deliverer who, who would save them from their spiritual needs, from, from the spiritual exile that they found themselves in, that the bondage of sin and rebellion, he would come to redeem them even from that. Now, it was with that in mind that we moved on from that first section to, to what we saw last week, which really we could have headed as, what is it exactly that this Messiah would do? In other words, how exactly is it that he would redeem? Well, you'll recall that we said this was probably a question that was often on the Jewish mind, particularly for those who were suffering in exile. And as such, we can be sure that there was a certain lore. There was a, a particular set of ideas that had grown up around this idea of a Messiah. But we saw in Isaiah 52 and 53 uh, that what God promised to them most likely would not have met those expectations, right? That they were expecting a king that they were expecting someone who would come to, to transform their, their earthly existence, to restore to them the glory that they once had under David and Solomon. But what they seem to, uh, to receive is one who is a servant, a lowly servant, lowly in his origins, in his appearance, in the way he is perceived and treated by men. One who will suffer almost unimaginably at the hands of, of his accusers. Remember Isaiah said he would be marred beyond human appearance, that he would be pierced, that he would be slaughtered. Now admittedly, we read that and we could see how this would bring a certain level of confusion to those who already had an image in their mind. But as we dug deeper, what we came to realize was that God's primary concern was not their, their physical uh, situation, though, though he truthfully will re even redeem that, but his primary concern was their spiritual condition, 
His primary concern was their hearts. And in order to redeem that, this servant had to come. He had to, to die. But in so doing, remember, we saw that, that he was the one who was high and lifted up, right? He was the one who God exalted. He was the arm of the Lord who would come and deliver. He's the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords at work redeeming and saving those lost in darkness. And so we, we've established who this Messiah is. We've established what he would do in terms of his person and work coming, taking on the sins of his people, dying in their place. And now today, as we finally and completely unwrap the true gift of Christmas, uh, what I want us to consider with the, the moments that we have there this, here this morning are all of this servants, this Messiah, this King, all of his great benefits to us. In coming as an infant, in dying a sinner's death, and in rising again, yes, Christ achieved redemption. But what I want us to ask is what does that redemption truly look like? What all does it entail for you and I today? Now, as you're going to see in just a minute, this is going to be a kind of a list of things. We're going to run through it pretty fast. And my goal here is not simply to, to list these things so that we can all say, oh, great, this, this is great, we appreciate it. No. What I want you to do this morning is I want you to hear the, the depth, the height of God's love for you, a sinner, what he has achieved for you. Because, friends, if we can get even just a small portion of it, then it will cause our hearts to rejoice. It will cause them to sing today. And so with all of that in mind, let's read from Isaiah chapter 61, beginning in verse 1. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend, their tend your flocks. For foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priest of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their light. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, and they are an offspring to the Lord 
they, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father God, as we come now to this portion of your word, we pray your blessings on us in this time. Uh, Lord, it is a wonderful day, uh, but it is a day where we are, are very easily distracted. Uh, it is a day where we have uh, a hundred other things to do. Uh, but Lord, you have called us into your presence in this time to worship and adore you and to hear your word proclaimed. And so now as we come to this word, Father, be with us. Focus our hearts, focus our minds so that we might see Jesus in these moments. We ask in his name. Amen. Joy to the world. Uh, well, as with uh, the passages we have seen before, and really with all of Scripture, these verses are significant to us uh, on the two levels that we've tried to balance all along the way. We might say the biblical theological level and the redemptive historical level, or we might say contextually they're significant to Israel but then they're also significant to all of God's people. And again, I would remind you that any time we approach Scripture, if we're going to do it justice, we have to keep both of those perspectives in mind. And so first here, in context in Isaiah 61, this is a significant passage because as I'm sure you've noticed, the person has changed. It's gone from a third person, he will do this, they will do that, to a first-person account where the Lord himself, this Messiah is speaking to his people. It is now his words that that are being proclaimed. It's not simply Isaiah speaking the word of God, but now this one whom they expect, this one they are looking for, he speaks. Again, what an encouragement that must have been. All of this is not simply an abstraction. All of this is not simply a nice thought that Isaiah is presenting to them. But here, here they, they hear directly from the one that they are waiting for. And so for God's people in exile, this is certainly an encouraging passage. Uh, But then as we approach the passage today, we also recognize that this is the passage that Jesus himself picks up on in the temple, right? Not in the temple, in the synagogue. Uh, In Luke chapter 4, you remember he walks in, he gets the scroll, he reads from Isaiah 61, and he sits down And he says, all of this has been fulfilled in your hearing today, implying that that he is the one who was speaking here in Isaiah 61. Now, that's significant for us, particularly as we've gone through Isaiah, because Jesus is uh, confirming not only is he the one here, but he is the one, as we've said, uh, who is the Messiah, who, who is the Son born, who is Emmanuel God with us. And so all of these things that that we have said broadly about Jesus are confirmed here in Isaiah 61. And what that means for us this morning is that as we unfold all of these great benefits, we can see Jesus' life playing out in our mind's eye. We can tie together 
the, the prophecy of Isaiah 61 and the truth of what Jesus actually did in his life. And so that's my goal for us, is to try to, to kind of tie those two things together because in reality, the Christmas story is going to, to play out before us. And so just, just two points this morning. First, I want us to see blessing without number. Blessing without number. Now, as the, the heading suggests, there are several of these, and truthfully, we could spend a sermon on each one of them. But as I said, I, what I want us to do is to simply get the scope of what Christ has blessed us with today. And so first, notice in this passage that Jesus gives us good news. He proclaims to us good news. Now I want you to think back of how that connects to what we've already seen. Remember, he is the, the king who is the anointed one in here. That the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, right? Also in Isaiah 11, you remember, what was it that he used to transform the nations? It was the rod of his mouth, right? And we said that was simply his words, speaking, changing, transforming. Well, here, what is it that the Messiah does? He proclaims. He comes and he speaks. And he speaks good news. Honestly, that, that may not seem like much of a benefit to you this morning, but consider how often do we say, gosh, I just wish that they would give us some good news on the news, right? When we turn on our TVs and we watch CNN or, or Fox News or whatever you watch, sorry, I'm going to get into some controversial ground here, whichever one you watch, we say, gosh, I wish they would just give us some good news, right? More importantly than that, when you are downtrodden, uh, when you are walking through life's hard places, when, when things seem to be falling apart, how, how much does your heart long to hear something good, that someone would come and speak a good word, good news to you? Well, friends, think back to the Christmas story. Think back to what we saw last night during our Christmas Eve service. What was it that the angels declared to the shepherds? good tidings, good news of great joy that will be for all people. And what was that good news? A Savior is born for you today who is Christ the Lord. How is it that Mark begins his gospel? Mark 1.1, the good news about Jesus Christ. And what is it that Jesus brings over and over and over again throughout the gospels? Mark 1.14, Luke 8, Matthew 4. It, I could keep going. In all of those passages, it is good news. It is the gospel that Jesus is bringing to his people. And notice, who are those people? It is good news that comes to the poor. To the poor. We think back to the Beatitudes. Uh, Blessed are the poor, for they will receive the kingdom. Here, Jesus brings good news to those who are lost in sin, those who desperately need to hear it. Good news. Secondly, in this passage, notice that Jesus gives healing. Healing. Not only healing, but he gives comfort. It says he binds up the wounds of the brokenhearted. Think back to his ministry, the lepers, uh, the sick, the, the, the widows, those who were least fortunate that he came to 
with that good news to heal those who had experienced great loss, particularly those who were brokenhearted with, with sin. Jesus comes to them to bind up their wounds. Uh, I couldn't help but read this and think ahead to, to Revelation in chapter 7. You remember he says there that, that God will wipe away every tear from their eye. That's what Jesus has achieved for us. That's what he brings to us. He stoops down. And he wipes away the tears of his people. He comforts. He comforts those who mourn. Friends, when we consider the, the events of this past week, when we consider the, the loss that our community has experienced, the loss that, that many of our children are wrestling with right now, how difficult it is to explain these things. We, we don't have the answers. We don't know why God does the things that he does. Friends, what we do know is that in the midst of hardship, in the midst of things we can't explain, He is with us. Particularly, He is with those who mourn. He brings comfort to His people. He wipes away our tears, even in these hardest of situations. It doesn't mean that the situations necessarily get easier, because we know that, that life is hard. But even then, he is there. Even then, He comforts us. He comforts our hearts. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Thirdly, He gives to His people freedom. You see that there in the last part of verse 1. You know, for exiles, this would have been really, really great news. But for sinners, it's even better news. You know, we live in a world where people are constantly longing for freedom. They're constantly longing to live freely, whatever that means. I don't exactly know what they're longing for, but that's what they say. They, they want freedom. And all of their efforts seem to only enslave them more. The reason is there's only one way to truly be free. It is in this one who has come, this, this Redeemer. What, what is it that, that, uh, that Jesus says in John chapter 8 and in verse 36? If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What is it that Paul says in Galatians chapter 5? Jesus has come to give us freedom. So don't go back. Don't, don't be a slave again. Be free. Jesus sets us free. Fourthly here, he gives us the joy of rest. Now by this point in the Christmas season, I don't have to convince you that you need rest. You know, you feel it right now. You need rest. And in my, as Bill said last night, us preachers are good at giving you rest because I may be giving it to you right now. But Jesus is the one who brings true rest, lasting rest. You know, you think of, of again, the, the, world, the way the, the world piles up on us and we think, gosh, if I could just set this down for a moment. If I could just find peace and rest and just relax for a minute. And it just keeps rolling. It just keeps building. What does Jesus bring? He brings this year of jubilee. 
It's unfamiliar to us, but to the Jewish mind, it would have been very familiar, right? You turn back to Leviticus 25 and in verse 10, every 50th year was the year of Jubilee. It signaled freedom. Uh, If you were indentured, if your land had been taken through debt, it was given back. Everything was given back. But it also symbolized rest. The land, the people would rest from their labors. Friends, all that that celebration entailed, Jesus brings to us truly and fully. Matthew chapter 11. Come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Hebrews chapter 4. There is a rest that remains for God's people. A rest that is never ending. A rest where we will lay down our weapons. We will lay down all of these troubles and trials once and for all. In him, even now, you can rest. Fifthly, he gives vengeance. He gives justice. Now to be sure, to to those who are lost in sin, uh, this is no gift. It is the, the flip side of salvation, to be sure. Uh, but to those lost, this is not necessarily a gift. But to God's people, this is a gift. Again, we live in a world that longs for justice. We hear this word thrown out all the time. Justice. We want justice. And that's a good and right longing of our hearts. Every one of us here right now should long for justice for the oppressed, justice for those who are living under racism or whatever it may be. We want justice. Again, the problem is all of our efforts are not leading to justice. How do we find it? There's only one. Jesus, the righteous judge, the righteous king, he gives the gift of equity. He gives the gift of vengeance. He carries it out. We can trust Him. So that means we don't have to do it. We don't have to be the justifiers. We don't have to justify ourselves. He has justified us. He will bring justice to this lost world. Sixthly, He gives righteousness in verse 3. We saw this last time, so we don't have to overdo it here. But rather than wrath, He gives His people the righteousness of God. His righteousness. It's what Luther found in Romans chapter 1 and in verses 16 and 17, right? A righteousness that is God's righteousness. An alien righteousness is what Luther called it. That is what we have. An alien righteousness in that it is not our own. It is someone else's. Jesus gives us his perfect record so that we might stand sinless today before God. Seventhly, he gives us restoration and renewal. Through his people, notice here, he will restore. He will restore the earth. He will restore the world. All that the kingdoms of the world have taken away will be restored back to his people. What happened in Genesis 3 and following will all be uh, transformed. Wars and devastations, natural disasters, crimes against the planet and against humanity, all of that Jesus is undoing. Not only is he undoing it, 
He is making it right and making it better. He's doing that to you. He's renewing you too. What is sanctification? What, what is the, the goal of our salvation in Ephesians 1? That we might be holy. In other words, God is restoring the image of God in you. Eighthly, notice he brings a reward, a double portion, an inheritance that is twice what is deserved, twice what is expected, the wealth of nations, the glory of the nations, everlasting joy. We saw last week, we don't deserve reward. We don't deserve a second glance, but in Christ, that's what we receive. Ninthly and finally, God gives us and he restores proper worship. All along, what was Israel to be? They were to be a kingdom of priests, a light to the nations, the place where God's glory dwelled, where the nations would come and see the one true God at work. And yet, as we've seen, they failed over and over and over again. But notice now, in this one who is to come, in Christ, what will they be? Priests to the Lord. Ministers of our God, in verse 6. It reminds us of 1 Peter chapter 2, right? Uh, you are a, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, right? That's what Jesus has made us to be. In other words, not only does Christ renew the image of God in us, he also renews the purpose of God in us. What were we made to do? To worship God, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And now, now in this Messiah, we can do that. And that brings us to our second point and to our conclusion. How do we respond to all of these great benefits. Friends, I've listed for you nine here from this passage. We could have listed a hundred. We could have listed a thousand. The depths could have kept going. We could have been here until next Christmas listing all of Christ's benefits to us. How do we respond to all of this? How do we respond to such a wonderful gift that we have simply skimmed the surface of, the reality of the incarnation, the hope of eternity. How do we respond to so great a Savior? Well, secondly and finally, we see that, that we should respond with worship without end. Christ has freed us to do it, and frankly, how could we not do it? If we truly know, if we truly grasp even a portion of what Isaiah tells us here, of what the Bible, what the message of it is, friends, then we can't help but be overwhelmed. We can't help to cry out, Amen, right? We all laughed and loved it, but how true it is. It, we all should have that enthusiasm, that joy to come here this morning and to worship the incarnate King. To worship Jesus who was born for you, who died for you, who gives you the hope of all of this. Because we should feel this way every day, every day. This is what he has done for you. And now he calls you in response to glorify and to worship him, to bow down before him and to praise him for his goodness, for his Mercy And notice here, friends, who is it that leads the charge? 
Who is it that leads us in that triumphal procession? It is Christ. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul. This is now the Messiah speaking. He says, I will rejoice. My soul shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. It's Jesus. It is our Savior who stands at the front of the line and shows us how to worship our King. We're getting into some of this inner Trinitarian glory that, that Jesus speaks of in John chapter 8. He says, Father, you have glorified me and I have glorified you. And we're thinking, how does all of this work inside the Trinity? But it's this glory that they have known forever, for all of eternity. Now, he invites us into a little portion of that. We get to experience the glory of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We get to worship our God. What a privilege. What a privilege today. Friends, my challenge to you as we leave here is we can, we can approach this Christmas day, we can approach every day like the world. We can approach it and get through it and, and nobody will notice and, and everything will just go on like it always does. Or... We can go out into the world today and every day as the redeemed of God. We can go out as those who have been given all of these great benefits. We can go out and worship the incarnate King, the Messiah who has given himself for us. Clearly, he is worthy. Clearly, he is worthy. Even without all of these benefits, he is worthy. But knowing that they are ours in him, how much more should we, like the angels in heaven, sing joy to the world? The Lord has come. Let's pray together. Father, as we stand here even now, our hearts can't begin to grasp the height and the depth and the fullness of your love for us. Lord, you have given us this passage and we have skimmed through just the, 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 the inches of what you have done. We haven't even broached the, the depths of it all. And yet, Father, it's overwhelming to know that you have loved us in this way, that you have given us so much. Father, we pray that our lives would reflect that truth. As, we, as we've already seen, that we would go and tell it on the mountains and everywhere. Jesus is born because, Father, if we know that and if we believe the truth of it, then we know it is our only hope. And we know that it is the only hope of everyone in this world. They, they must hear it. So, Lord, we pray that, that you would use us in that way, that our lives would reflect the, the truth of what you've done, that others would see Jesus in us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your love and your grace. Ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, let us rejoice in this joyful good news. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let's sing 193.